The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. You just heard we're in Freeport. We're in both places, actually. The tower's in Freeport. The studios are in Merrick. Uh, where are you? Do you know where you are? Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the 10th day of October 2021. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is across the way. Uh, good show tonight. Great show. Leading off, we'll talk to former Major League Baseball third baseman Doug DeSensei. In the second slot, we'll welcome in former Jets wide receiver Rob Carpenter and talk to him about the one in four Jets who are now losers on two continents. Uh, not many teams can say that, so sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy the show. Some great sports memories up ahead. Social media, we're out there. We're on Facebook at WGBB Sports Talk New York. So much information there. Give it a look and give it a like. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at B Donahue, WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry because they're all out on the website and you can listen to them at your leisure. Well, our first guest, he's played for the Cards, the Orioles, and the Angels. He was an All-Star in 1983. Silver Slugger Award winner in 1982, and he's a member of the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame. It's great to welcome to the show tonight Doug DeSensei. Doug, good evening. Good evening, Bill. How are you? Just wonderful. I'm glad to have you with us, Doug. Thanks thanks for taking the time. Now, I, I always like to find out the sports pedigree of my guests. Who were your teams and idols as a kid in California? Uh, my team was the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Don Drysdale was my idol. Nice. So, yeah. Big Twin D. Okay, number 53 for the L.A. Good Dodgers. Call. Yeah, that's Very it. good yeah. <laughs> Now his initials, were, his initials were the same as mine, and uh, when I was young, I pitched and hit, so... Was a perfect guy to follow. Yeah, good man, and uh, appeared on Leave It to Beaver as well. By the way, I don't know if you knew that, but there's a <laughs> there's a piece well, of u- useless trivia for you there. <laughs> he was. Uh, I'll tell you one of my one of my greatest interviews when I was a player. Mm-hmm. We were playing the Angels, and I hit a home run off of Frank Tanana to beat him one to nothing in Baltimore. And I didn't know who was going to interview me, but all of a sudden he jumped over the fence, came in, got a mic, and sat it in front of me, and it was Don Drysdale. And I tell you, nice. He asked me a question about the game. I just looked at him and kind of said, "Wait a minute, this is the greatest thrill I've ever had. You're <laughs> yeah. my idol." <laughs> oh man, yeah, what a great moment. Yeah. Yes, it, it was a great moment. I embarrassed him, and then we went on with the interview. But it was, <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it, it's one of those moments you just never forget. You know, as a kid, you grow up, you have a dream of playing in the big leagues. The next thing I know, the guy's interviewing me, and it was uh, right. It was it's plain as day. 
That's that's an important thing to remember, kids out there. Is even your idols have idols. So just just keep that in mind as you travel through life. Now you played little league baseball with Dwight Evans. I saw. Uh, not little league, but uh, pony coat league. Oh, okay, and yeah. Yes, my my yeah, my dad and I. Uh, my dad coached he and I. We played for quite a few years together. And back then, he wasn't as big as he was. And then. He went to high school, and all of a sudden I saw him, and he was, you know, he's a big guy. Yeah. And uh, it was fun when we played against We almost had a little bit of a rivalry because, obviously, he was in Boston. And, and as most people know, Dewey, you know, Dewey always had an edge about him. As great as a player he was, he didn't smile much out on the field. Well, you went to Pierce College. People may not know uh, where or that is. Now that's out there in California, but the important thing I found out is you're in their Hall of Fame, and there's two other guys from the major leagues that are in that Hall of Fame as well: Coco Crisp and Barry Zito. Yes, both of them followed mm-hmm. me in there. I was uh, fortunate enough to be the first inductee, but uh, um, you know, it's always a great honor when you come back back. Back then, um, you know, this is back in 1968, and I had scholarship offers to go to a four-year university, but my I really wanted to play pro ball. But I had good enough grades to go to the other colleges. But if you went to a four-year university, you had to either graduate or, 20, uh, or turn 21 before the, the major league draft, or you were not eligible, or you dropped out of school for a full year prior to the draft to be eligible to to uh, uh, be in the draft. Well, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there was another draft going on, and it had to do with Vietnam. Yeah. And if you dropped out of school, you were on a one-way ticket to Vietnam. So I went to junior college instead of taking the four-year just to say, hey, if I'm good enough, I'll get my opportunities. And first drafted by the Padres there, and uh, tough, one of the toughest decisions I ever made was to have saying no because I had these great colleges to go to and they wouldn't guarantee my education. So I said no and then the Orioles drafted me in the third round and the rest was history. As they say, yes, definitely. Doug, Doug DeSensei with us tonight on the program. Now you had the I guess we'll call it the misfortune or the opportunity it could be uh, term two, Doug, to replace two legends with Baltimore. First was the Hall of Famer Brooks Robinson, who who you caddied for for a while at third base, and the the other one was Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> what well, luck, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Um, I didn't replace Cal Ripken; he replaced me. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was the piece of baloney between the. Two thoroughbred pieces of bread. <laughs> but um, it was, I always considered, I, I look back and I say it was a privilege to be able to replace Brooks. I mean, Brooks was, a, first of all, a great person. And, and second of all, he's a great baseball player. And when they first told me, because I was playing second and short, uh, in the minors, and they said, we're sending you to AAA, and we want you to play third. And I looked at him, I said, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. I know who plays third. I, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. 
And they said, look around the infield. Gritch had just finally replaced Davey Johnson. Belanger, you know, was in the prime of his career defensively at short, and Brooks still had a few years left, but he was the only next opening. So I went down and became the heir apparent. But it, it wasn't easy, Bill. No. I have to tell you, every city I, when I got to the big leagues, every city I went to, you know, all the, uh, the columnists, not the beat writers, but the columnists all said, you know, came and sat down and said, why do you think you can replace Brooks Robinson or someone? And say, hey, look, it's my job. They right. offer, they, this is where they want me to play. What do you want me to say? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Now, as you say, Doug, it was tough. You, you got hate mail from people. Oh, geez, did I get hate mail? Oh, man. I got booed on the field by the home stands just when they, they announced my name because, you know, Brooks was so loved and honestly he could have run for mayor and governor in the same year and won both <laughs> political races, but, uh, probably would have done better than, than some of New York's recent politicians. Yeah. But, but, uh, but it was a situation where I, you know, this is what I had to deal with and, uh, there were some very unfair times. I can remember playing uh, in this game, and Phil, uh, uh, Gene Roof was catching the game. He's missing, and he came out. He kind of was in front of home plate, and he's rubbing the dirt around. He goes, "Guy, all the guys on the team want to know: Do you have to go through this every single day you take the field?" Wow. And I said, "Pretty much." Yeah. <laughs> he goes, "Man, how you do it?" Just like, you know, it's kind of mind over matter. And in all honesty, when it was all done, I felt it made me a better clutch hitter. I really do. I felt like, okay, this is my job. I've got to do it. And enough, you know, I don't care what other people say. It's They're not going to ruin my career. No, so. you, you stood up to it well, Doug. And imagine that, n- not even being in New York and getting booed by the home crowd. That, that, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I know. Now, yeah, it is. You, you also had trouble with uh, another Hall of Famer down there, uh, a shorter Hall of Famer <laughs> by the name of Earl Weaver, who was the skipper. <laughs> now, now we, yeah. we all see, uh, for, for those folks who don't know anything about Earl Weaver, just go to YouTube and, and uh, do a search on him, and uh, you can see that this guy was one of a kind, right, Doug? Uh, definitely one <laughs> of a kind. Feisty, angry. You know, um, and especially now, especially when we would play the Yankees and Bill, Billy Martin was there or Billy Martin was on another team or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Those two guys <laughs> went at it and they were not going to let those umpires, you know, uh, get the edge on them. And the players are always caught in the middle of it. And the umpires hated the Orioles. Because they hated Earl, but sometimes they take it out on the players, and when that became unfair, you know, as a player, you you had to straighten the umpire out a little bit. But yeah, it was uh, it beca- it was difficult. But Earl and I, I don't know, you know, the best conversation I had with Earl Weaver, Bill, was the day I got traded to the Angels. Yeah, and he called me up, and we actually spent. I played for him for nine and a half years. Okay, and you don't have long conversations with Earl, and um, 
But that day, we talked on the phone for two hours, and I asked him, I said, why did this trade happen? Because I was having a good year, and but I was the head of the Players Association for the strike in 81, and the, he said, Doug, I'm going to tell you the truth. He goes, I left that meeting and said, no way are you trading to Sensei, because Ripken's going to be my shortstop, and Murray's my first baseman, and that's going to be that way for the next six to eight years. Right. And, uh, you know, he left and the owner said trade to Sensei. Yeah. And that's how the trade happened. And you know what? Every time I hit a home run against him when I came back, I enjoyed it. I, sure. I, I love my teammates and I love playing on the Orioles. And, you know, uh, I feel like all, all of them are still my brothers. Uh, Kenny Singleton and, you know, Scotty McGregor, Dempsey. You name it, go all the way down the line. He, he was one guy I hated. I hated to see leave the Mets, uh, Doug, was Ken Singleton. Uh, I thought he was a great talent, and they let him go to Montreal for Rusty Staub back in the, the early 70s. I, I thought Ken was, was a great ball player. Yeah, but they got a good ball player in return. I mean, Right, right. <laughs> they didn't get shorted. Was no, slouch. Mm-hmm. no, they didn't, but I understand. Well, you know, when I was playing with the Orioles, we got rid of Tom Bernanski. And right. when that happened, we, what happened, we all looked at Gene Mock like he had 14 heads. What are you doing? <laughs> you can't get rid of that guy. He's, he's going to be in the big leagues for a long time. Well, Bernanski did his uh, job to beat the Angels quite a few times. Yeah, certainly did. And uh, you went on to have good years in, in uh, Anaheim as well. Now, the, you were responsible for what they call, the folks not may, may not be familiar with it, Doug, Oriole Magic. Tell us about Oriole Magic. Well, um, I had come off of uh, uh, the year before I hit 28 home runs, and I would really, you know, Felt like okay, third base is my own, and the and the, the pressure of Brooks Robinson. He's you know, even though he was in uniform, or you know, it was like okay, the pressure of that was off, and now he's not in uniform, and he's gone. And um, I went out there and I hurt my back after I think I was hitting three three something and had about six home runs in April. And the first part of May, I, it was really cold and damp, and I went out, and there was a bad hop, and I dodged out of the way of it, and my back kind of popped. And so I spent six or seven weeks on the disabled list before oh, I came back. And when I came back, the team was doing well, but uh, we were at home, and we were playing the Tigers, and uh, there was about 35, 36,000 fans there. And it came, I came up in the bottom of the ninth inning, and everybody stayed. I mean, nobody left the game, which, you know, sometimes can – that's because they were saying, you know, they were kind of believing in the, in the Orioles at that time. Mm-hmm. And they were cheering, everybody's standing up cheering, and there's, you know, two outs and the runner on base, and we're losing by one, and lo and behold, I, I hit a ball out of the ballpark, and we, we won – and but what happened was is the fans never left and they all were going crazy. You remember we had Wild Bill Hagee out there doing the spelling out Orioles, and <laughs> right? So there, yeah. it was fun. Yeah, it was fun for the fans to come to the games then. But they just honestly believed. And when it happened, the place was electric. 
And after I finally got off the field, I can't, they asked me to come out 10 minutes later. The stadium was still there and Wild Bill Heggie's leading everybody. And it was like crazy. I mean, it was just absolutely, the fans just went nuts. And from that point on, they, the next day, I think Singleton hit a home run and next, and, and we had a doubleheader. We came back in the, the ninth inning on both those games. Eddie Murray hit a couple of home runs, and all of a sudden the fans never left early again if we yeah. were losing. And, it, you know, a lot, of it, a lot of the times in 1979, we were winning all those games. So That is so true. It was a fun experience, and I just happened mm-hmm. to, you know, the whole team developed the magic. I just happened to hit the home run at the time, you know, that everybody right. recognized it as, like, this is magic. We we may win, you know. Yeah. We're speaking with Doug DeSensei tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, you were American League player rep for a while. Did you work with Marvin Miller? Absolutely, all the yeah. way through. Now, I, I don't know I if was, you saw his, saw the speech given by Donald Fear in Cooperstown, but I thought he did a tremendous job speaking for Marvin Miller. Well, you know, definitely Don was a, a protege of Marvin and each and every step, and uh, Marvin always believed strongly in Don as uh, as to his capabilities. But but in the same token, you know, Marvin was Marvin, and in those meetings, you know, the fifty day strike in in uh, nineteen eighty one was pretty incredible to go through, and when you're sitting in about forty of those days in, in negotiating meetings. And then you're in with it. Marvin got so frustrated. He goes, you guys go, you know, and the owners are going, well, where's, Mar- where's Marvin? We t- told them and said, look, it, we make the decision. It's not Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, re- he works for us, but you know, Marvin was in the back room all the time with that, but it was, it was a, a very interesting time in baseball because basically the owners truly wanted to take away free agency. They wanted to take away the pension plan, and those were two, you know, hard stance moves that the players were never going to give up. No. And to this day, look what it's done for baseball. Some people said it was going to ruin it. I think it's helped baseball dramatically. True, true. And uh, I mean, look at the Yankees. My God. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's an example right there. Long time coming for Marvin Miller to get voted into Cooperstown. Now, oh. Now, Doug, I was speaking. Long time. Bill, Bill, Go ahead. Too long. Yeah. You know, oh, definitely. You know, yeah. You got Bowie Coon going in there, and you got commissioners and stuff like that. You're going. This guy. Seelig. Yeah. Marvin Miller was should be honored greatly by all the owners, yeah. just for the fact. And some owners are probably, if they ever listen to this, will probably turn over. But you know, he's the one that really made them wealthy because he mm-hmm. believed in television. He believed in all those different things. And that's why he tied the uh, pension plan to the, always to the television contracts. And you know, I think that uh, the first commissioner that I knew that came along and honestly believed that too was uh, Peter Yubroff. Yeah. And that's when baseball started to recognize, wait a second, there's a whole bigger business other than just owning a team. And look what they do today. I mean, 
I mean, yes, network for the for the uh, for the Yankees is. I mean, that's, from what I understand, they that's paid a goal their line. entire salary. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly then, right, Doug. Yeah. Now, I I had heard from a friend of mine who just happens to be the former mayor of Cooperstown, New York, that you were uh, instrumental in helping him with his book, which had to deal with the split season of 1981, Jeff Katz. You, yes. you he, He's a, a wonderful gentleman, Jeff. Yes, I had a good time in conversing with him. And, you know, when you're talking about delicate things like that, you have to get comfortable with the person first. Yeah, right. And I felt... Like Jeff was, Jeff was the guy. He understood it. He, you know, it wasn't like I was telling him things new. He had already done his homework and, and so he, he really got a lot of the insides of things that were going on. And, um, you know, I know it got me traded, it got me traded to Anaheim. Um, but I was born and raised in Southern California. So I mean, Perfect. And it worked out fine for me, but in all honesty, I never wanted to leave the Orioles. No. Well, better days were ahead for you. The the, the 86 ALCS versus Boston, tough series yes. for you guys, Doug, right? Probably one of the toughest things. Yeah. You know, in 82, we went we were playing Milwaukee. We were up 2 nothing, and... um. You know, it was difficult. We lost. Uh, our pitching staff was never outstanding, but we had some good pitchers. And, um, you know, our manager, Gene Mock, made some extremely questionable moves, and it ended up costing us three straight games. And he brought Tommy John back on two and a half days rest, which basically left us no starter for game five. And unfortunately, Tommy was as great a pitcher as Tommy was. Two and a half days rest uh, for a player of his age. He just wasn't sharp, and you know, uh, Milwaukee just beat him up big time. Yeah. And we ended up instead of having him rested for Game Five, we would have probably won, in my view. But uh, that was a, that was a tough deal. That and certainly was. Then all of a sudden, '86, he decided to pull Mike Witt out of the game. For one out, we needed one out to go to the World Series. Yeah, and he brought in a pitcher that hadn't been a closer all year, and he threw one pitch, hit Gudman, he left, and then he brought in Donnie Moore, who had a cortisone shot. Everybody on the team knew he had a cortisone shot the night before, but Gene didn't care. And next thing you know, Dave Henderson hit that home run, and that oh, was history. Boy. Yeah, well, what a rough series, and then. Uh... Oh, to to lose Donnie Moore over uh, losing a series like that, a, a real tragedy. A real tragedy. Uh, you know what? It's so upsetting what happened to him and to the point where, you know, he is my teammate and, and everything. But I, I personally couldn't go to his, his funeral because I was too broken up about it. I mm. felt so terrible. I mean, here's a guy that shouldn't have been pitching and he took the ball. Because his manager said, "Hey, I need you to pitch," and you know sometimes people don't know, and it ruined his life. Yeah. Ruined his life. So, the great Donnie Moore, folks. Google Donnie and uh, read up more about him. You'll you'll find a, a fine picture. 
uh, listed there. Now, you're in the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame, Doug, but I read somewhere where you always think of yourself as an angel. Um, I don't know if I, I you know, I, I was, that was maybe said in jest. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I've always, no, I've always felt that I was a Baltimore Oriole, and I, you know, and I live here in Southern California, so I look at it now, um, uh, that I was blessed to play for two great teams at the time. I mean, you know, at the early 80s with the Angels, when Reggie was there, and, you know, we had Donnie Baylor, and Rod Carew, and Fred Lynn, and Bob Boone, and Bobby Critch, you know, uh, some great was, ball players, legitimately great yeah, ball we, players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a great man man team. We just, you know what, should have got to the World Series a couple of times there. But again, I mentioned a couple of times. Right. So. Now you had to deal with the specter of collusion during your career too, Doug. Yes. Yes. I spoke to Andre Dawson about that, and he had a rough time with it himself. Oh, he had it. You know what? And he wanted to sign for a dollar. Do you remember? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I knew what I had to sign uh, after the 86 season I had where I think I had 26 home runs and 97 RBIs, something like that. And um, I was... Player of the month for the Angels and uh, for the American League in in August, and I was runner up in September, and we won the pennant. Suddenly, I was not offered anything, and they threw a low ball offer out there because if they made an offer, they got credit. You know how that goes to get credit right. replacement, and uh, my agent was Ron Shapiro, and. He said, Doug, all these free agents, you're not the only one, but they're not going to get contracts. It's clearly a, um, you know, an organized effort to shut down. This is the new way they're going to try and shut down free agency. And oddly enough, I called Hank Peters myself. He was the manager of the Orioles. And I asked Hank, I said, Hank, I said, I'd like to come back. You there, Doug? All right. Yeah, the line is open, but we lost Doug. We had a great conversation with him anyway. I am going to call him back and apologize. And uh, right now, we'll take a break. Coming up next, former Jet Rob Carpenter. Stick around, folks. to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM at 1240 a.m. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. 
You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, we're back. We're back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB. Uh, great time of year, folks. We're in football, but we have baseball all day, too, MLB playoffs. For me, uh, it's great as the Yankees are, va- are out of it, and I can enjoy the games without hating anyone. Uh, I'm going for the Rays all the way. Bring a World Series champion back to the city of champions, Tampa. I think it's time for the Rays. They, they really deserve a new ballpark down there as well, but that's a topic for another day. The Jets, they're now losers on two continents, but we'll talk to our next guest about that. We'll keep the sports memories rolling along. This gentleman, he hails from Amityville. He's a wide receiver who played for the Pats, the Jets, and the Eagles, and college, University of Notre Dame, Fighting Irish, and the Orangemen of Syracuse. He was drafted by the Bengals in the fourth round of the 91 draft. Please welcome to the show tonight, Rob Carpenter. Rob, good evening. Hey, how you guys doing? Wonderful. How's things with you, Rob? Everything's good, man. <clears throat> good, good. Great to, great to have you aboard. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, who were your teams and heroes when you were a kid? Um, honestly, I've been a Jets fan, man, since I was a since I was a young boy. Uh, my father was a Jets fan, so uh, I've been on that bandwagon for a long, long time. But also, as I was growing up, man, I was a Steelers fan as well. Yeah, hard hard not to root for teams like that. That that's <laughs> for sure, Rob. Yeah. Now, now um. You uh, are in a relatively small class of underclassmen headed by Rocket Ismail uh, to that you were allowed to declare yourselves eligible for the draft despite remaining amateur eligible. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That was. Uh, I was. I was part of that first class. Uh, at that point in time, I just. I. I felt that I was ready to be a NFL player. I saw. I looked around the world of a. Uh, what was going on in the NFL and, mm-hmm. and what was going on in college. And I just felt like I had the talent that actually, um, to be an NFL player, especially when, uh, my, my roommate who I actually, uh, just left the, the prior year was first round draft choice for the Jets was, uh, Rob Moore. Rob Moore, right. Yeah. We remember him, of course. Now, uh, you went to the Eagles, the 1995 Eagles coached by Ray Rhodes, the only playoff team that you played for. Yep. Yeah. Um, which was tough uh, because, uh, you know, when I was leaving New England after my rookie year, um, you know, I, I, I was one of those plan B free agents. That was a whole new genre of uh, free agency at that point in time. Um, yeah. I had decided to to leave and um, go play somewhere else um, to try to get a shot to be with a better team that, that you know, had the, had the chance to be making the playoffs. Um, and ironically, the Jets were just coming off of that playoff year. So mm-hmm. I felt like, um, you know, I had a chance to, to hook home with them, uh, you know, and, and be in the mix as far as playing and come along with a team that actually was, uh, was on a rise. Just so happens that it didn't work out that way, but, um, you know, had, had a shot with the Jets to, to, to make the playoffs when in Boomer's first year where we were eight and four going into <laughs> the final stretch of, uh, of the season. We ended up losing all four games and missed the playoffs. Yeah. But, yeah, when I got to Philadelphia, it was a whole new ball game, man. It just like seems like the 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 conferences were so different. Um, you know, playing in the NFC was just drastically different than playing in the in the AFC 
Um, everybody knew who the big dogs were when in the, in the NFC at that point in time. It was San Francisco and the Cowboys. And, you know, you had to play those guys. You had to beat those guys if you wanted to, to compete. And, you know, I just fell in with the, with the team in Philly and we actually had to, had a mix of guys who actually could compete, uh, you know, every, every week. And, uh, we had that chance to make the playoffs, man. And we did. We took that shot and got through that first round, uh, division playoff game against Detroit and, uh, end up eventually losing to the Super Bowl champ, you know, Cowboys. Right. Now you also returned punts for the Eagles. Yes. Um, that was something that, you know, I did it when I was with, uh, with New York. I, I did it a little bit in college. I did it, um, with New York. And, you know, part of the way through the season in Philadelphia, I want to say maybe fourth or the fifth game, um, we already had a punt returner, um, and, uh, Kelvin Martin, who was actually a, an all pro, mm-hmm. uh, as a punt returner, um, you know, for most of his years with, uh, with the Cowboys. But he broke his foot and we really didn't have anybody else. That, that could do it. I mean, there was really nobody else that, that even attempted a punt return in their career on the team. So, um, I knew I had did it and, and I basically just volunteered. I was like, I'll return punts. Sure. Um, we had a rookie, basically the whole coaching staff was, was a rookie coaching staff that year. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a special teams coach. Danny Harris was like, we tried it out in practice and saw what was going on. And, uh, you know, he went back and saw the film of, of what I did and he was like, oh yeah, all right, you can, you can punt return for the rest of the year. And that was that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now you you weren't on the Jets for Rich Cotite, were you, Rob? No, no, no. I was. Uh, that was the year I was in Philly. Uh, yeah, okay. That was the year I left New York um, and, and was in Philly. Yeah, that was. And it was kind of a swap where he went to New York and I went to Philly. You, you made you, you had the better of that deal, brother. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that, now go but going back to Syracuse. You rank among the all-time leaders in SU receptions, uh, m- most statistics, despite being only there for two years. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I'm really proud of. Uh, yeah. As, uh, you know, our football career goes. Um, everybody always tells me, like, man, if you would have stayed, you know, for your senior year, you would probably have every record that's in the Syracuse books and probably still have it to today. You yeah. know, I, I, I kind of look at it that way, but I also kind of look at it as the fact that, you know, I stepped on the field for two seasons and, I, and I'm still in the record books there, you know, uh, you know, top 10 in some, some categories out of all the guys that actually have played there. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of that, that, that statistic itself. Rightfully so. We're speaking with Rob Carpenter tonight on the program. Now, as I said in the open, you're, you're a Long Island native. You, you're from Amityville. You, you grew up, as we know, a couple of minutes from, uh, Hofstra. Now, yep. th- there's one story that, that I read about you that you told about getting pulled over in Amityville by a cop. Now, th- I yep. think that this story is uh, a good lesson to people. You want to recount that for us, Rob? It was when I was in high school. Um, okay, yeah. I, I, was actually, uh, I-, I was actually just coming home um, from playing basketball. <laughs> you know, it was, it was one of those evenings I was... You know, I was I was an avid basketball player uh, growing up, and I was just in the park, um, and I was on my way home. You know, and that was during the era of you know a lot of drugs around my neighborhood, um, the, the, the crack area as we call it. Um, and um, you know, I got pulled over, and it was it, you could basically say it was just a just a, a, a idiot cop doing some idiot things, but yeah. also being uh, you know a knucklehead racist at the same time. Mm-hmm. The only reason why he pulled me over was because I was a black kid in a, in a car going home. Right. Um, you know, I never got a ticket, never got a warning, never got anything. He just basically, you know, told me to get my A out of there and, and take my A home. So, um, you know, it was just one of those things, man, that, that a lot of people 
that grew up in that era, um, especially grew up around my neighborhood, you know, kind of fell into that category of those things that happened. It's unfortunate, you know, that, uh, you know, people like myself and, and kids growing up in that, in that era, and even now, today, you know, still got to look over your shoulder um, for something that, you know, is, is kind of idiotic in a way when you think about it, um, just to be pulled over because you're driving a car um, and because of your skin color. Right. You know, it's just unfortunate. And that's a stigma I lived with, you know, for, for a long time before I actually just, you know, got it out of my system and just let it go. Understood. Understood. And I'm sure this is still happening in, in, uh, in that area today. I have no doubt that it's probably still happening uh, in, in North Amityville these days, uh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I, um, I know, I know. Uh, I know kids to this day that it, that it has happened to. Um, it's happened to other people in my family. Uh, my nephews has, have had it happen. So, you know, um, it's just unfortunate, man. It's just, the, you know, the, the, the life that we live in. Um, and certain people just have to go, go through these things. And, you know, it's just, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth at, at, at some point in time when, um, you know, you see people who are actually supposed to be, as they say, protect and serve. And they're basically just harassing people just, just for the color of their skin. Exactly. So uh, listen to that story, folks, and take that to heart for sure. Now, selected in the fourth round by Cincinnati, Rob, uh, it seemed you were headed for New England, but uh, Coach McPherson brought you down to, to Cincinnati, correct? Um, flip that around. I was drafted by Cincinnati. And ah, okay. Okay. He was, the, he was the head coach in New England at that time, and uh, – you know, I, I, I kind of had an inclination that, that, um, they actually wanted to draft me, but, you know, they went in a whole different direction, uh, in their draft. And, um, you know, my time in, in, in Cincinnati was pretty short. You know, I basically only lasted through training camp because I was in New England before tramp, before camp was over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, quick. And yeah, uh, you know, my, my rookie year was a, was a real learning experience. Um, that's basically how I can put it, uh, as a rookie. Or basically on a full veteran team. Um, there wasn't many rookies that were on that team. Maybe we had a couple of guys that, that, that actually ended up turning out to be pretty good. Um, you know, Ben Coates, the, the, the tight end for the Patriots, actually was on that team but, uh, at that time. Um, he was a rookie with me. Um, Leonard Russell was a rookie with me. Um, we had – there was just a, a, a handful of guys who were rookies. Um, and, you know, like I said, it was a learning experience for me dealing with a full veteran team but also – Having to deal with uh, a full rookie coaching staff because basically the whole staff was 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 their first year being in the, in the NFL. Um, I had a lot of coaches that were still um, that had just left Syracuse that came along with with uh, my old head coach Dick McPherson to uh, to New England. So it was a learning process for them too. A big learning curve. Um, team wasn't really that good. Uh, you know, it was some stressful days in there. But you know, like I said, I, I learned a lot being there uh, as a rookie in, on how to be an, an NFL player. Just to let the kids and the folks know out there, Rob, that these weren't the Belichick Brady Patriots we're talking about. This, no, this, not this at all. Team, this, this, yeah, this, this team was in a, in a rebuild mode, right? In a, in a huge rebuild mode. Yeah. Like I said, it was, it was Dick McPherson's first year as a head coach in the NFL, and that rebuild mode, I think, uh, I think our record was three and thirteen. Um, so, uh, you know, that was. Those are the, the the lean times in New England before before the Belichick years. Right. Yeah. And they were coming off, Rob. I think a few years before the Super Bowl appearance w- w- uh, against Correct. the Bears with uh, 
Jim McMahon, The Fridge, right. guys like that. Yep. That yeah. Was, uh, that was a few years before that, and things started going downhill for those guys. But like I said, most of those guys that that won that team that played in the Super Bowl, well, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of guys, a lot of those guys were still on that team. So, you know, trying to navigate being a rookie, dealing with the you know the egos of guys who had just played in the Super Bowl a few years prior to that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it could be a could be a hazard for a lot of guys, but, you know, like I said, I took it as a learning experience. Rob Carpenter is with us tonight on the program. Now, the Patriots leave you unprotected, and the Jets are right there after that, correct? Yes, yes I was. Uh, yeah. I asked to be unprotected. Um, that was one of the things I had a meeting with, with uh, Coach Fisher at the end of the season. Um, they were trying to decide, and I just basically said, no, nah, don't decide. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for it. You know, uh, put me on the plan, plan B free agency and let me go test the market and see, see what happens, and most likely, I'm not coming back. Yeah. Um, and you know, it basically came down to to three teams for me at that time. It was uh, Indianapolis, the Jets, and uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, which, ironically, uh, Sam Weiss was uh, the Tampa Bay coach who, you know, was the the, the coach who drafted me. Uh, and ah, okay. you know, he yeah, told me then he didn't really want to let me let me go again. Yeah. Um, you know, when I had the meeting with him when I when he was down in Tampa Bay, but you know, I I, I took the shot of playing for the for hometown team and it was just it was just more of a comfort feeling uh being in New York than than going down to Tampa Bay and playing for him again. Right. Now uh, I had read Rob when you were a kid, dad bought you uh a Jets helmet and you had a Joe Namath jersey, correct? And that was it. I was nice. probably yeah. six or seven years old maybe. Yeah. Um might 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 even have been younger than that. Um my sister has that picture, um which is which is pretty funny. Um, and that's it, man. Like I said, I've been a Jet fan for a long time. Uh, my dad was a Jets fan, so that that's basically where it all started. It was a Christmas day, man. I had the, the football helmet on and a Joe Namath jersey. Yeah, and uh, little did we know that uh, that would come to fruition. Now, do you remember your first game as a Jet, Rob? Uh, I do. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of uh, one of my better games in my career. Um, had over 100 yards receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a play in a game where I probably should have scored a touchdown but and, and it probably would have helped us out in the in the end. But um, you know, I ended up getting clipped on the sidelines right and, and stepped out of bounds. But uh um, you know, putting on the jersey for the first time, you know, playing in the regular season game, there's two things with that. Um that was the first regular season game that was actually in the Georgia Dome at that time. That's right. Um, yep. So, you know, it's kind of a, a, a double thing where, you know, uh had over 100 yards and playing in the in the Georgia Dome for uh, the opening game uh, of the Georgia Dome. So um, that that memory is not going anywhere anytime soon. No, 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 no. Now you were catching passes with the Jets at that time from Kenny O'Brien. Now Kenny, I always liked Kenny O'Brien. Um, I think he got a bad rap here with the Jets. What do you think? Actually, that year uh, Kenny came into camp late. Uh, and Browning Nagel was actually the starter. Oh, I remember um, Browning, yeah. And, uh, that was one of the things that, that Bruce was talking about. Bruce Cosby, who was the head coach, was talking about, uh, during our off-season workouts. Um, is that if Kenny, you know, doesn't show up to camp on time, basically the, the, the job was going to be Browning's and he kept to that. Um, and Kenny showed up, but it was Browning's job to, to lose, basically. Um, and, um, Basically, he eventually ended up doing that, but you know, because Kenny had to come in a few games during the season, uh, and and try to give us a couple of victories. But uh, 
you know, that that, that first game in the, in the Georgia Dome. It was Bronny Nagel that was the starter. Okay. Now I caught my first touchdown pass from Kenny O'Brien, though. Right. Okay. Yeah, from I think he was from UCAL Davis. I'm not sure if, sure if that's correct, but uh, Kenny O'Brien, folks, look that up. Uh, pretty damn good quarterback. What makes yeah, you most? He, go ahead, go ahead, Rob. I'm sorry. I, Kenny Kenny had a good career, man. He was actually yeah. a good quarterback uh, for a long time with the Jets. Um, he just had that that stigma of him being drafted before Dan Marino. Oh boy, um, yeah. <laughs> and that whole that whole uh, QB draft class, um, but. You know, Kenny had a little chip on his shoulder anytime he played against uh, the Dolphins for basically his whole career, man. He played well against the Dolphins. had a lot of victories against uh, against Marino and head-to-head. Yeah, they're, they've been a thorn in our side for a lot of years, as, as you well know, Rob. Uh, yep. What makes you most proud about your career, Rob? Um, One of the things was the fact that I lasted as long as I did. Uh, you know, I had, had set a goal... Um, when I got drafted, I owned, that I wanted to play between eight to ten years. Um, not too many fourth round draft choices at that time were coming, were, were lasting that long. Basically, the, the average length of an NFL career is three years. Um, my first goal was to last longer than that. Um, I knew I could play the game. I knew I could be an NFL pro for, you know, quite a few years. Um, and, you know, when I got to my sixth year, unfortunately, that's when I hurt my knee and my, my career ended, but, you know, um, I'm I'm proud of the fact that I got to that point, and it took an injury to actually, uh, you know, in my in my career. Right. I was going to ask you what told you it was time to hang it up, and that's the, that's the, the knees barking at you. I know it happens to many guys. Now you're living in Jersey now, Rob. Yeah, I'm in uh, in, in North Newark in a uh, in a section called Forest Hills. Nice. Okay. Now, uh, COVID. How did COVID affect you in Jersey? Uh, give, give us a little insight. Um. And in my area, actually, when the COVID first hit, man, it was actually pretty bad. Uh, so for me personally, you know, I was lucky enough to where I, I, I basically didn't have to do anything. So I, I got to stay home, be safe, um, go out when I actually absolutely needed to. Um, but, you know, this, <clears throat> this whole COVID thing in general, um, put a lot of stuff into perspective because I, I lost a, a few friends uh, oh, to it. Um, and you know when when things like that are happening around you um and you basically have not too much control over it at that time um a lot of things get put into perspective so you're right uh yeah you know i i i basically was was looking at it where taking it one day at a time um gonna try and stay as safe as i can and make sure most of my family stays safe as they can and you know we're just gonna try and navigate this the, the, the best way we can but you know, when you hear the stories of, of so many people losing loss, uh, losing loved ones, um, you know, to something that partially, you know, could have been, could have been handled a little better. Um, you know, it's just an unfortunate thing. And like I said, I lost a, a, a few friends to it myself. So, you know, I, I know what the whole dynamic of that, uh, was taking place. Right. It sort of brings it home, as you said, Rob. Rob Carpenter with us tonight on the program. Now, did you watch the Jets today? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what did you think of that game? Um, the game was played in two parts, it seemed like. Uh, you know, the game started and you had that unfortunate, um, rough in the passing, rough in the passing call. Oh boy. Third yeah, that's game, right. It seemed like the Jets actually were, were going to get a three and out. Um, 
that was probably one of the worst calls I've seen, you know, in a while. Um, basically, Quincy Williams could do nothing different than in making a hit on a quarterback who basically still had the ball no. in his hand as he was making a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that turned the tide a little bit in that game where it gave, you know, the Falcons a little a little breather. Um, they ended up, you know, going down to get a field goal. Unfortunately, you know, the, the Jets' problem is starting the game. They start so slow uh, that it came back to haunt them today. Right, they're um, in a hole already, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, right after they give up the field goal, the next series they give up the touchdown. So they're down 10 nothing, and basically they've only run three plays in the game. You know, so <clears throat> um, the one thing that stands out to me is that they're really just going to have to, you know, try to try to get to the point where they start a little faster. Um, I get it. You know, they finished the game like you thought they would. Uh, you know, they fought all the way to the end. But, you know, the defense is out on the field for just way too much time. Um, the defense is getting gassed. Uh, you can see it the last two games. Um, the game they played against the Titans, the defense played 100 plays. That's unheard of. That's like two games playing within <laughs> yeah, one. Right. Um, and, you know, having to travel over to London, I'm sure that took a little bit out of them. Um, and that might have been, you know, might have been a factor in why they started a little bit slow. But, um, you know, the one thing I do like about the fact that they, they keep fighting. Um, it's a young team, youngest team in the league. Um, but Salah has these guys fighting all the way to the end of the game. And eventually they'll learn how to close out games. But, you know, they just have to start faster. And can't expect, you know, uh, Zach Wilson to be a world beater right off the bat. Uh, he, he's got to learn a lot about this game. You see it with every rookie quarterback that's out there today. Um, they struggle in their, in, in their first season. Um, and it's happening all over the league. Right. They have to show up for the first quarter, Rob. And uh, I was amazed at the amount of Jet jerseys in the crowd there in Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I, I was saying to my wife, why are these people, they, they have the choice of, of all the teams in the NFL to root for. Why did they pick the Jets, these people? I don't understand that. <laughs> they must have a, a genetic defect over there or something. I don't understand it. <laughs> oh. I think... Uh... You know, from a few years ago when the Jets actually played over there, when when Rex was the coach, you know they won that game over there. Right. Um, yeah. I think I, I think that may have had something to do with it, where you know uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of people over there have you know jumping into the NFL, and you know they might have saw that game and saw the team win and and figured that 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 would be the team they root for. But um, you know, I know there's a just just me being on Twitter. I knew there was a lot of people that were over there, um, and the Jets have that new NFL UK. Uh, thing going on, so I just knew there was a lot of fans that were over there that were going to be wearing a lot of Jets jerseys. I was just hoping that they could actually come out and get a, get a victory for them. The, um, unfortunately, the NFL, the NFL is very <laughs> popular over there, Rob. Yes. It really is, as you can see by the crowds selling out these huge stadiums. That uh, they they really uh, they have a future in London. I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a, a regular team over there, but they're over there almost every week. So it's it's a good thing to keep those folks. In the loop. What what are you guys uh, up to today? Um, well, for me, one thing I'm actually about to get into is uh, uh, trying to start another youth football program back in Amityville. Um, oh, that's okay, right nice. Now. So um, hopefully, I can get that uh, get that generated by by next spring. Because um, uh, you know that's something that that I'm looking forward to, to trying to get done. Um, the, the youth football program in in my neighborhood has kind of fell off. You know, quite a bit. Um, and I just want to bring it back, 
get all the kids that actually are, you know, that are, that are still around, um, that, that want to play football because there's quite a few kids that are in my, in, in Amityville that, that play football. They just don't play in Amityville. They play for, for, you know, it's either the Matt Speaker Mustangs or, or the Copec team that's around or some actually even go, go up to Huntington to play. But, um, um, cause I know quite a few parents who still have kids around that, that, that are playing youth football. So, um, that's in the works right now. And, and hopefully, like I said, I can get that, get that up and running by, by next spring. So, uh, next football season, it's, a, it's, it's underway. That's a great initiative. Who are you working with, uh, on that, Rob? Um, I'm actually, uh, I have a, a couple of guys that actually I grew up with. Um, we're, we're, we're all in this together. Um, and actually one of them is, uh, the, the head football coach of Amityville right now. His name is, uh, Jason Epps. Um, you know, he's, a uh, he just took over the Amityville program as far as, uh, the varsity football team this year. Um, but he has a, a youth football program out in, uh, out in Corum where he lives now. Um, and we, we, we talked about this prior to COVID. Um, but we knew once COVID hit, you know, it was going to be put on the back burner, but now things are coming back around. So, you know, we, uh, we started talking about it again over the summer and, uh, we're trying to get this, uh, initiative, you know, underway and, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully by by the spring everything is uh, put into place, and, and by the fall the football program is underway again. Great. Well, we wish you the best with that, Rob. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on last minute. I know you didn't have much time to prepare, but I appreciate you coming on with us, uh, spending your Sunday night with us for a little bit, and uh, I really appreciate it. Now, I appreciate you having me on. You take care, Rob, and best of luck with the, with the program. All right, thanks, guys. That's Rob Carpenter, folks. Well, that will just about do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. Uh, we're hoping to get El Cid back uh, next week. I think he only has one birthday this year, so that should be it. Right, right, Brian? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to thank my guests, Doug DeSensei and Rob Carpenter. Of course, my engineer, Brian Graves, and you guys for joining us. Andy's up next. You don't want to miss him. Up uh, next Sunday, October 17th, I'll be with you with Roger McDowell, Bobby Valentine, the future mayor of Stamford, Connecticut, Chicago drummer Danny Serafin, and a couple of surprises. Till then, you be safe, be well. This is Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. This is WGBB AM 1240 and W240 DF FM 95.9 Freeport, New York.